Good morning, basketball fans. This is Crashing the Glass. I'm Sean Haladic. My good friend David Rodriguez is here to join us, and we've got basketball to talk about. David, this is our 50th episode. 5 0. Mm-hmm. We started this podcast last year during the NBA playoffs, and we are now basically a full calendar year ahead and 50 episodes down, and I think that's kind of cool. I'm pretty uh, pretty happy with ourselves. It is pretty cool, and it's fitting that it comes to the end of the 2017-2018 season, a uh, season that was full full of everything from great basketball to burner accounts on the sides to secret tunnels where players are trying to fight. Uh, this, this year really did have it all. It did. It did, and that's kind of what we were hoping for. Um, cause you know, what the hell do we know? We're just, we're just jibber jabbering, but, uh, it's fun when there's just crazy storylines to talk about. It's almost like a soap opera sometimes. It is a soap opera. Cause it, it's, it's, it really is interesting. I feel like this has been a transformation in, in the last five years in particular. Um, the NBA really has become a full year round sport. Uh, there, there's just always topics of discussion. And even last year when there is the, the dull time of potentially like late August after free agency slows down. All of a sudden, you have trades like the the Kyrie Irving trade, and then a couple or less than a month later, there was the Carmelo Anthony trade. So, it, it, it there's just a constant news cycle with the NBA with the way it's structured right yeah, now, and it's I, a. It's I a feel lot. like the the big points are like the season beginning, like you get the tip off, like that whole month is usually really exciting because you kind of figure out like what worked from all these off season decisions and all that stuff. The actual playoffs are you know in the end of the season, and then the playoffs are all super exciting, and then like the off season might be the best of all of it because. You know, everybody loves the grass is always greener mentality of like, if my team could do this, if my team could do that, and how amazing would that be? And oh my God, and all that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so the, the possibilities are endless in that moment. So it's kind of a neat thing. Um, before we get into what is probably the more interesting topics of the day, why don't we talk, I know that sounds weird to say, why don't we talk the NBA Finals before we get into the good stuff? Uh, because this Finals sucked. It was uninteresting outside of game one. And uh, I would, when we last talked, it was just after game one, correct? Game uh, two had not tipped off yet? Correct, yeah. We were on the heels of game two. We both thought, I said that I didn't, I, I was having a hard time believing that the Cavs could win a game, but my original prediction was that they would take game three. And I think you had said that you still couldn't get past the idea that the King couldn't win at least one game, but again, also thought that they were going to lose in five. We both kind of said that, no matter what, we still thought the series was going to end in five. No, even though the ridiculous game one finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it, I don't know. It's just especially with the way LeBron came played game one. It yes. just seemed impossible that they were going to be able to even yes. win the one game. Uh, and and we ultimately were wrong, though not by much, because it was just a clean sweep, and uh, the Cavaliers pretty much went down with a whimper outside of a almost performance in game three. Um, which we did expect. We thought that would be one of their better games. They, you know, they only lost by eight in that one, which, relative to the rest of the scores, was a close game. Mm-hmm. Um, and and game four, you could tell that team was just a beaten, you know, just sad, sad group. And they lose one hundred eight to eighty five. Kevin Durant comes alive late in the series. Um, you definitely had noted that he had been kind of he was missing in game one, and uh, and I don't think if I remember correctly, he didn't look great in game two. But uh, really seemed to come alive in Game Three and and looked obviously every bit of himself in that latter half. Yeah, Durant really stepped. Uh, game Two, he actually was. I think he was ten for fourteen, if I remember was correctly. He? So, okay, yeah, so I, he, I couldn't he remember how. Really which, efficiently. I knew he, he kind of flipped um, the switch at one point. I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. Yeah, Game Three was definitely the the best game of the series by someone other than LeBron James. So on the entire Golden State Warrior roster, he definitely had the best game of uh, of anyone there. Um, and I think that's probably the game that ultimately won him the NBA Finals MVP. <clears throat> and he, you know, he, so if you take out the game one performance, uh, I, I, I'd love to talk quickly about kind of who should have won MVP, NBA Finals MVP. I think that there's, I think there's a strong argument and in terms of I would have had a vote, I definitely would have voted for Steph Curry. Um, I know Durant had the better individual game and Curry was non-existent uh, in game three. Yeah, when, game, game three, when, he was atrocious, one for off. 10. Um, but it, three point land, I they, believe. They, I, I just think there there's more to it. If if you look at the word valuable, uh, I think so much goes uncredited for what Curry does within the box score. And when I say that, I just mean in terms of how they defend Steph Curry. There were so many times where Steph Curry would be double teamed because he's a primary ball handler, where they're just they're they're slamming him on, you know, just 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 uh, their picks. Like the, it's just the way they defend him is completely different than how they defend Durant. Uh, a lot of what Durant did was isolation based. Um, 
I think I, I forgot if I brought up the stat last time, but I read something on Twitter where you know he'd already had over four times as many isolation possessions this postseason than he did all of last postseason, um, and that was at that point after game one. And it just seems like a lot of the damage Durant did was uh, either in transition or by himself, which give him credit, right? Those are still hard baskets to make, yeah. but in terms of the overall impact and how the def- on how the defense plays you. Um, I feel like you have to give the edge to Curry there. And then if you look at the numbers side by side, that's they still had both they both had great series. Durant absolutely shot better on the overall field goal percentage yeah. across the board. Um but well, they 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 play a different style of basketball when Durant's having good nights, right? Like they are a different team. They're not the Warriors that you think of when Durant is is sort of the one having the night. Is kind of how I view it. They it's almost a Jekyll and Hyde switch. Now it's to their credit that they are able to have two dramatically different styles of basketball that are both ultimately uh, championship caliber. So great for them. But it is interesting that they are completely kind of different styles of basketball when that happens. And I am curious what other players on the team think. I I believe I saw a quote from David West saying that they were having some problems this season. And they were ultimately able to keep them in-house and still achieve their goal. But it is interesting that you kind of now that all that does for me is I want to know who, who, what, where, when, why were they having problems? And uh, and I don't know if we'll ever find that out. Yeah. So West had an interesting quote. Uh, Sean Livingston also had a similar one kind of hinting at that sort of drama development. Um, it is it is fascinating. Like, what, what does it all mean? It just seems weird at the same time that West is saying, like, hey, like we have this inside drama, but we're better than that. I don't know. It. it yeah, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way to come out with that, but I, I am curious as to what they're alluding to. Um, it's it's really been fascinating as a whole just to see Golden State this entire season because it never really truly felt like they kicked it into that no. second gear that they hit last year. If you're, I never felt like they were the buzzsaw that they had been even in the last any of the last couple of years. Like they never felt like that team. No, there were times in games where they would just go off for those you know 15 straight points and hit a couple quick threes, and you you think all right like. This team's ready to roll, but they never got at a point uh, during the even like during the regular season. It felt like they obviously had the talent where they could pull off twenty straight wins, and nobody would even think twice about it. But they just never really hit that gear. And even the playoffs, you know, they lost the game every single round except for the finals, um, which is which is an interesting note. I, I didn't. I kind of looked up before here uh, was that this is the first final sweep since two thousand seven with the Spurs and the Cavaliers in which there was also a huge uh, talent disparity between the two teams. Yes. Um, so that's it's kind of funny to look at it that as well. But I don't know, this Warriors team, they never really hit their second gear. Um, I'm really curious. This team is extremely top-heavy, and I think that was one thing that was really exposed during the playoffs at times, was outside of the top four guys, there really wasn't a ton of depth within this team. There's a weird sort of center rotation that I brought up before, how they have like four centers. I don't understand. They don't, it doesn't make any sense why they would have all those guys there. Um, and I, this is very early, but I'm really wondering if uh, next year is going to be the first year um, in the last three years where I, I, I'm wondering if I should pick the field in terms of uh, who the NBA championship winner would be. And that's that's probably a different discussion, but it is Well, no, I did want to that... go there next of uh, what does the future look like for this club? Because they have a lot of decisions to make within the next two years that will chart the path for them. Mm-hmm. The first one obviously being Durant. He's got to resign, but he's already said that he's not really willing to take that kind of discount again. So that's going to fudge your cap a little bit. Then you've got to decide on Clay, and then Draymond, I believe, is, is either right then or right after that. I mean, they've got a lot of decisions the next couple of years. Plus, they've openly said that they are looking to get a lot younger in the offseason because they do have, I mean, their core is starting to get to the age 30 and beyond. You know, that they are fast approaching that. Uh, and that is sort of a tricky thing to manage. Do you think they can keep this together for more than even even this offseason, but maybe next offseason, I think, is probably the real test? Um, or do you think they start to move on? I mean, I keep hearing that Draymond Green is probably the odd man out in this scenario. Yeah, this is one of those questions really comes down to ownership and kind of how much tax they're willing to pay. Which they're already paying they're, an absurd amount of tax, and it's correct. only going to keep going up. Mm-hmm. And they're moving into their new arena. I forget if it's next year or not. Um, it's relatively soon. Yeah. But... If you know if Durant wants to sign, I think this is kind of the price you have to pay to to keep a championship. Yeah, you, you made the decision already. Like when you brought him in, you knew that you were going to be in luxury tax for the entirety of his stay. Yeah, and you brought up an interesting point that I think isn't potentially talked about enough. In that these players, they're all 
uh, you know, potentially starting this year and even going into the next year, they're all ending kind of starting on the second half of their career, mm-hmm. meaning they're all going to start to regress in certain areas. Yeah, Durant, uh, I think, is approach is what age thirty is going to be yeah. next year. Steph, I think, is also going to be age thirty, and Clay is younger. But not much, right? He's only like a year younger, I thought. I think he's 28 right now. 28, and then I don't remember what, how old Draymond is off the top of my head. But, I mean, they're all, because they all came in right around the same time, which is great for continuity and them playing together. And they've now gotten a couple of years together, and they're obviously a dominant force. But if you have all four of your core start to regress at the same time, mm-hmm. You know, that's going to bite you harder than you think yeah, because you, you can't make up for some of the, like, you can't just have the, some of the magical runs that you might be used to if guys just aren't quite capable all cohesively doing it like they used to do. Yeah, and then you factor in even key players off the bench like Andre Iguodala, who's part of that sort of five-man clearly on his way in the league, and he's he's somebody who's he he's not he's still obviously a valuable player um, who contributes to that team, but he's still regressing. Like there's no yeah, he's absolutely that. the last year, maybe even two years, he started to regress, and now injuries have become a concern because he's he's getting older. I don't think he's a guy that they can count on going forward. I legitimately think that one decision they need to make is somehow starting to separate themselves from him and maybe Sean Livingston, these some of these older vets that are on the bench, because they need young legs. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's going to be a major concern going forward. Yeah, and I know that's one thing that we touched on, uh, I think, briefly uh, earlier this season, was that Golden State was interested in looking at acquiring second round picks this year or even like cheap first round picks because they do need an influx of a cheap contracts because you touched on the the cap situation and how they're they're they are paying a lot of uh, luxury tax and it's gonna it's not gonna get any better from here um so for the the cheap contracts sake, they absolutely want that but they also need young talent right like even some of the sort of the the outcast of the the main core that we're touching on right now so even like the the david west the the zaza Pachulias. Old, um, both older guys. Yeah, like like Nick Young, you have to assume that might be somebody they maybe they consider moving on from. Like these are guys who aren't in their you know either in their prime or entering their prime. So they're it's definitely gonna it, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you have to assume that they're going to try to get some of those young players. And you have to wonder how that's going to affect their depth. Like, does it matter to not have those older veterans around? Well, I think you know it's an interesting thing because I feel like this. If you remember back during the Celtics Big Three era. They initially loaded up on older vets, and then they started to realize that they needed younger legs kind of later in that. And it is a bit of a hard transition because what ends up happening is you put a lot of young, inexperienced guys into major playoff moments because they have to. Um, And it does cost you in some cases because not every rookie or every second-year player rises to the occasion perfectly in their first playoff appearance. That's just the way it is. If you're going to... If you're going to give major minutes or reasonably important minutes to, say, four or five rookies because that's what you've now filled your bench with, someone's going to crack under the pressure. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, because not everybody's perfect. And some of those guys are going to be raw and they need to develop. And they, they've got, you know, they may be good players, but they're not there yet. And they'll get picked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll have to see kind of what Golden State does because we touched on already a couple times like this is kind of this core team is, is here i don't think they're growing anywhere yeah. i don't really foresee anything major happening so the roster moves are probably going to be on the outskirts of the, the the major seven um including livingston and yeah uh Iguodala in that mix gut gut feeling you still thinking it's golden state next year in the finals or do you think you might pick the field next year uh, well, making the finals or winning the championship. If it's winning the championship, I'm picking the field. If it's making the finals, I'm probably still staying with Golden State because we still have to see what uh, teams do because there are a lot of question marks about. We touched on Houston and kind sure. of their Chris Paul decision or even a potential. I think I'm LeBron taking the James field signing. in both. Okay. For the first time, I mean, it doesn't mean that I think that their odds are terribly below fifty percent, but I think it might be forty percent. Uh, they could win in 60% the field now. Mm-hmm. I think they're still obviously an elite team and still probably the best team almost no matter what they do this offseason. But I do think that um, what I saw this year, they didn't look quite like what I thought they were going to look like, and I, I think that's going to be a trend. Um, other side of the coin, LeBron James, obviously, uh, even though he loses, I still think, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is that this was one of the better sort of achievements in his career was to drag this uh Cavaliers team oh without a doubt yeah to this the finals. Is, I think this was if LeBron had won this series which obviously was a huge long shot yeah, I know he got swept yeah. I, I honestly um I was looking at 
uh, just historical performances and kind of relating them to how an individual player played. And I think this would have been one of the best seasons of all time, just looking going back to through the NBA's history, because it it really was an uphill battle um, for a lot of this. And keep in mind too, uh, one thing that I know LeBron has gotten a lot of flack for the the recent sort of hand contusion controversy that came after Game One, where he punched a whiteboard. But even prior to that, like he dealt with some injuries that absolutely had an effect on just because LeBron gets a lot of uh, I don't know how to say this, but a lot, I don't know if, I don't know if slack is the right word, but just a lot of heat for like how he plays in terms of oh he's just bigger and stronger than everybody, so he just kind of bowls through everyone, and that's how he gets his baskets. Well, it's clear, you know, without a doubt, his his sort of mental or his physical uh, attributes were absolutely hindered in this series. I mean, going back to Game Six, where he had that knee contusion, where Larry Nance bumped into him um, against the Celtics. Uh, game Three, he rolled his ankle pretty seriously. Uh, we touched on the hand thing, and just looking at replays and pictures after the fact, it's clear that there is some serious swelling in that right hand. And just looking at how he played the game, right, he shot. Uh, I think it was like seven for fourteen on jumpers in game one, and then the, the final three games, so games two through four, he shot like four for fourteen. So it's clear that he didn't shoot jump shots as a result of this hand injury. And it's you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that the the hand injury would have been a difference between winning the series and losing the series because I think there's clearly enough uh, just a talent disparity there to to make it seem like Golden State would have obviously won, but. He's. This is somebody. He definitely battled through this year. Yeah, he played. Um, all, he started all eighty-two games, which he has never done in his career, mm-hmm. like that. Because usually, I mean, he he's counted on to carry so much of a workload that he he ends up taking a bit, you know, a couple games here or there to to keep his body fresh. But he knew that this team couldn't afford that, mm-hmm. and then he shouldered the burden all through the playoffs and really willed them to win. I, I walked away more impressed with him as a player than I have at any other point in his career. That's just how I viewed it. To me, ultimately, it felt like he got the most with the least at any point in his career this season. Uh, and, and I was deeply impressed with that. And now you've got the decision that he has to make in this offseason. We've been hearing pretty much all year that nobody thinks he's staying in Cleveland. Where do you, or do you, I guess, same idea with the discussion we just had on the uh uh, 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 Warriors, are you taking the field as in he leaves Cleveland or you think he'll stay? Like, what is your current... Do you think it's it's a 50-50 or do you think it's Cleveland maybe only has like a 25% chance of retaining him? Uh, this is really a... For Cleveland in particular, I want to look at it from their sort of perspective. This really is a two extremes sort of side, right? They're, uh, they're either blessed after July 1st, LeBron says, hey, like, I'm staying in Cleveland and they just... They bring the gang back together Um you know, like what are the, the the big question from there is probably what do they do with that eighth pick? Do they draft a, a young piece to help infuse some energy, or do they trade it for a, a veteran to keep the team rolling? Um, or there's the flip side of LeBron James choosing the field and he goes to wherever he decides to go: um, L.A., Houston, Philadelphia, wherever. Um, and all of a sudden, in Cleveland's situation, they have a they have to decide: Hey, what do we do? Do we keep all these guys together, or do we decide to rebuild and try to move whatever pieces we can? And looking at that roster, I don't really see a lot of movable pieces outside of potentially Kevin Love. Um, I don't really think anybody's going to want George Hill or J.R. Smith's contracts, unfortunately. No. Uh, but where does LeBron go? I don't know. It, it's really going to come down to what does he want. If he wants the the best chance at winning, I can't see him staying in Cleveland because this team is it's going to be the exact same team next year. Yeah, I year. can't. I just that's my hardest part with him going back is like I just think that this season was probably the most frustrating one of his career, even though it was one of his greatest achievements in a way. If he comes back, he's signing himself up for essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really going to get that much better. No, it's the same team. It's, it's, it's going to be the same, same team, team with whatever rookie they draft. You know, and that, unless he suddenly thinks that that's going to save everything for him, I'm not sure I would want to bank on that if I'm LeBron. So I do think you have to start looking outside of that organization. And the, the teams I keep hearing are what? The Sixers, the Rockets. Uh, Dark Horse, I've heard both Celtics and the Raptors names come up, though I don't necessarily believe either of those. Uh, And then, obviously, there's constantly the L.A. rumors. Mm -hmm. Of those targets, because I'm I'm leaning pretty heavily towards he leaves Cleveland at this point, just because I I don't know why you'd want to put yourself through that mental and physical abuse that is playing for that ridiculous franchise. Where Where do you think he ends up of those remaining targets? Well, I think the my gut is honestly the I'm looking at LeBron's sort of career from a from a story arc, right? Like he gets drafted by his hometown team, he 
he battles through. Uh, it's it's clear that this team isn't what he's able isn't able to provide what he needs, especially if he's taking his talent to the next level. So he goes to Miami, um, which was really that villainous sort of state for him. He does win the championships, but people are they're they're honestly like they're angry about those championships, similar to how Kevin Durant fans sure. are. They're angry about those Durant championships, like they don't really count it for him. So LeBron. Uh, from his good graces, he does what everybody wants him to do. He goes back to Cleveland and he wins a really heroic championship. It, it was an, a, an incredible season, that 2016 year, where he does ultimately win the championship. Um, and I'm really wondering if this is just going to be that next sort of phase within his life. And he goes to, I, I really I feel like he's going to go to that dominant media market, the L.A. sort of scene. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he does choose the Lakers for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, they do have the that sort of young up-and-coming talent. They have the cap space as well. Um, I think LeBron is huge into the LeBron brand, which I think we've seen a lot from players around the league right now. This isn't the NBA of the the 70s and 80s where it's, you know, like players do their commercials potentially on the side, but they don't really have a whole sort of image to manage as much. Uh, Whereas LeBron absolutely does have an image to manage. And I think LA is probably the place for that to thrive. We've seen that with um, Kevin Durant. That's one thing that's not probably touched on enough. A lot of people just assume KD went to Golden State because he wants to win and he wanted the quote-unquote easy way out. Kevin Durant is absolutely killing it out there, making a ton of money, um, investing and just taking part in the the tech industry out there. Like he's talked about it a lot on the side. A lot of people don't want, like it's not discussed a ton in the media, but Kevin Durant is like he's absolutely killing it out there with like all the tech firms he's investing in. And I think LeBron sees that as a, as a, maybe not doing the same exact thing, but as an opportunity to to build himself and create something beyond basketball because and he's he, he has an office at Warner Brothers lot. Correct. Like he he's already invested out there in that whole Hollywood scene. That there, I would imagine that's a strong pull. The only counter argument to that is that those two LA teams are not very good right now, and even with cap space, who else can they bring in if that's the plan? Because it sounds like Paul George is starting to lean with staying in Oklahoma City, from what I'm reading. Well, you don't know, but I mean, there's because it's one thing that uh, Woj came out recently on. Um, I forget what the television show he was on on ESPN, but he came out recently and he openly said that James Camp and Paul George's camp have uh, planned preliminary discussions to to be had for an opportunity to you know like let's see if we can get together and make okay. something work. Because um, keep in mind too, with with LA, if they were to bring on somebody like LeBron James. And, you know, if they were to explore other options, there's a good chance that some of those young pieces could be flipped to help facilitate salaries as well as bring back pieces in return. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see if, if even though that L.A., the, the Lakers team in particular, isn't ready to win right now, um, if LeBron comes there, like there's the potential assumption just looking at how the salaries are structured that Lo, like Lonzo Ball might need to be traded. And despite kind of the, the father figure that looms over him, I think Alonzo Ball would absolutely still be an attractive piece that teams would want to build around. He might be more attractive if people could get him away from his father, who's in L.A. Mm-hmm. That honestly, I think that might be the best. I really think that might be the best thing for Alonzo's career is to get far away from that family, um, or as far away as you can. You know, maybe if they ship him to Cleveland in some sort of sign and trade thing, if LeBron tries to do a goodwill thing, how funny would that be if uh, Lavar has to fly to Cleveland every uh, every every week or so to to see Alonzo play? Um, yeah, I. I I agree with you that L.A. probably makes the most sense overall. Houston obviously is attractive because he's very good friends with Chris Paul, but we haven't, we don't even know for sure if the Houston's going to resign Chris Paul. That's obviously, you know, I I would think they're more likely to than not, but I, I can't say that it's guaranteed at this point. And then the other big name, obviously, is the Sixers. They're an interesting one because I think that it's already been brought up that David Griffin's name is in the, in the hat for a potential replacement at GM and everyone knows that Griffin and, and James are actually pretty tight in a way and, and, and James was very upset when he got let go um, from that Cavaliers team so that could be an interesting one obviously if they hire him I think it will be directly because they want to obviously make themselves a little more attractive for it though I do think that may not be the best thing for that team long term mm-hmm. but it was sure cer- cer- certainly in the short term would be great for them I just don't know if that's the right decision for that team long term but I do think that's interesting. I do. I don't believe the the rumor that came out about Toronto, and I certainly do not believe the rumor that came out about Boston. Um, even though it might be a good overall move for Boston, I just I don't know if LeBron would want to play there, and I don't know if if really that makes sense for all the parties involved anymore. Yeah, it's you know it's, at this point it's just it's a, a, lot it's a of... convoluted trade thing, right? Because they'd have to move a lot of pieces and stuff. It just seems like it seems like a lot of of hustle and bustle for 
to ship out a bunch of things that you don't even know how they how good they're all going to be yet because so much is unknown with with Hayward's return and all of those things and Kyrie's knee and contract situations like it just seems a weird decision to, to blow up a team before they've really actually played together yeah I would I wouldn't I wouldn't even consider it to be yeah. honest it's tough I mean at the same time though I say I wouldn't consider it but if LeBron James comes knocking on the door sure. and says hey like you know I'd love to have a meeting you're not going to not have the meeting. I just think it would be a huge slap in the face to both LeBron as well as like free agency as a whole to decline the opportunity to speak to a player like that, yeah. even though you may have no intentions of trying to make it facilitate. Because he is somebody who, um, as much as I've read a lot of, of uh, stuff just in terms of like Celtics fans saying like this could be the worst thing in the world, this would stunt the development of so-and-so. Like, no, it would somebody, be. Like if he's on your team, you're immediately a finals contender, Correct. a finals championship caliber team, um, and you try to make it work. and. I, yeah, we, I will always trade a championship for 10 down years because like, the championships are so darn difficult to get in uh, in any sport and in the NBA because it can be a bit of a top-heavy league. Mm-hmm. They're so difficult to get. If you know that you can give yourself a reasonably good chance at winning a championship for like a two- to three-year window in exchange for what might be an eight- to ten-year downswing afterwards, I think you've got to take it always in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's there's so much uncertainty within this league. Um, we've seen how much success teams can have when they are able to to build just a consistent team. Because we and we touched on the the Warriors earlier, so let's keep in mind. Let's put this in perspective real quick with the Warriors. So they've won three out of four right now. Uh, looking back, how many teams have done that? Right, you have to go back to the Lakers in the two thousands where they won three in a row and technically three out of four because they lost their fourth year. Prior to that, it was the the Bulls won six out of eight. And um, what always happens to those teams afterwards? Yeah, there's there's a hard collapse. They cra- they crater because you have so much money committed to a bunch of guys. Suddenly, they all age out, and you can't get rid of those contracts, and you absolutely crater, and then you don't have the draft picks for a while to make yourself better. It just it's a very long cycle. Dynasties always utterly collapse, and it usually happens quicker than you think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like it usually, de- you know, usually they, they, they'll you still think like, oh, they're still going to be pretty good this year. I, you know, I'm not worried yet, and then it just all falls the floor falls out um so you have to be ready for that if you're other teams you have to sort of prepare like that's going to happen because history tells you it will happen mm-hmm. so i think it's going to be interesting um did you have any other thoughts on lebron's movement this summer no i mean it's it, it's gonna be one of those free agencies just based off of how important lebron james is to the league as a whole that everything's going to stay still until he decides because teams aren't going to uh, I guess they could, but teams aren't going to make like you don't want to commit decisions. all your cap space before you know if you're completely out of the running with yep. them. So I, when July first comes, I feel like the the first couple names we're going to hear is you know so and so opts into player option, like Kyle Quinn picks up his player option. Like we're just going to get really minor stuff yeah. for the first couple days, and uh, it's really just going to sit at a standstill. We saw this last year to a lesser effect with Gordon Hayward. Um, as soon as Gordon Hayward signed, the next couple days like the dominoes fell and people started moving left to right because he was such a prominent piece for at least three major franchises there with the Celtics, the Heat, and uh, the Utah Jazz. And, you know, it's going to be a similar sort of thing right now, especially if LeBron James lines up, let's say he lines up five meetings, right? Let's say he lines up a meeting with uh, the Cavs, Lakers, Clippers to stay out in L.A., Houston, and Philadelphia, just for the sake of this. Like, those are five franchises that have major decisions to make this offseason. Some of those franchises have a lot of money to spend, um, and they're not going to sign other players or make other moves until LeBron says, hey, I'm going there or I'm not going there. And they know that they can invest well, yeah. their time and money into other things. Like you said, like the Rockets are going to probably not make a decision on Paul because they want to know if James is coming, then by all means, we'll go heavy into luxury tax and really make a run at If he says no, well, then maybe they have a different plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to sit and wait. So even though Chris Paul is also an enormous name within the league, he's not LeBron James and LeBron James needs to make his choice first. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be a fascinating angle to see how it plays out. I did want to go back. We talked a, really quickly about the Sixers and their GM vacancy. Uh, David, why don't you update us on why they have a GM vacancy? This is there's a GM vacancy because uh, Brian Colangelo and the 76ers have agreed to quote unquote part ways, uh, which just seems like a really friendly way of saying um, you can either be fired or you can resign while saving face. Pack your shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a move that we I know we touched on. Uh, on the podcast previously as well as we said it had to happen yeah like there just there wasn't really a decision so i guess the the big question from here is where do they go well um, hold on i want to talk more about how that played out okay. i don't want to just skip ahead because when we left off all indications were the accounts were likely his and then some twitter sleuths internet sleuths figured out that four twitter of the accounts detectives detectives please, sorry let's be classy about this <laughs> 
four of the Twitter accounts were linked to a number believed to be his wife's. Um, we had said that it very easily could still be his accounts um, or could technically be his wife's, but I had leaned more towards it was still his accounts just under his wife's name or under her number because he was afraid that, you know, obviously if everyone found accounts linked to his number, there's there's no deniability at that point. That was my thought. Uh, the way it played out, the firm that the Sixers hired decided that they believed those four counts that had the bulk of the bad stuff. The one account that he copped to was sort of the, um, I, I don't know, the tamest of the five, I guess. There wasn't anything posted on it. It was strictly just following the similar accounts. I thought there that, was some some posting, but it was pretty tame stuff. It I was pretty ban- was, banal. But either way, the four that were actually saying the, the bad things were all linked to his wife's number, and they said she went rogue. That was what they found. She went rogue. They were her accounts. That's the story everyone was sticking to in that camp, and they still agreed to part ways with them. Um, ultimately, they they decide to let him go. Apparently, Jerry Colangelo, his father, tried to intervene and use his power within the organization and tried to leverage that to force them to keep his son, Brian, which I thought was a hysterical and interesting development because now if I'm the Sixers, do I, do I want to keep Jerry around at this point in the role that he's in? Um, and also... I had a lot of people talking to me saying that they don't understand why, if ultimately it was his wife's account, why do you have to let him go? And really the big thing I'm trying to hammer home to people is it's clear based off of what was tweeted that if we're saying that we believe that it was his wife who had went rogue, that he is sharing medical information and team information that is not privileged to anyone outside the organization and that would be a a break of the trust between the player and the general manager to a third party, essentially. Mm-hmm. I know it's his wife, but that doesn't matter if she's going to go on Twitter then. You can't, but you cannot share players' medical information to anyone outside the organization. That is a breach of contract. So right off the bat, if he's saying it's it's not him, he's still effed in that scenario. You need to get him out. Um, and I would think this would, honestly, to me, I can't see him getting another GM job in the league. No, I can't see him getting another job either, unless there's some sort of consultant-type position like we saw with Danny Ferry where a team... Sure, you know, a scouting job or a consulting um, job, but I I don't... I can't see him getting an actual prominent big dog role within a a team again. No, and this is unfortunately the the price that comes with being a a higher sort of executive within a a major sort of place like this, Um, whether it be like, just look beyond sports, like if you're a higher major executive... Yes, you get all those awesome perks, right? Like everybody is envious of the, you know, like the, the first class trips, the, the mm-hmm. nice the nice company car, company cell phone. Um, but at the same time, you're going to be the fall guy when something comes up like this. And if, even if it's not you, because it, it, the part of the reports re- that were read as well is that the wife completely wiped her phone. She completely erased the, she did like the factory reset on it so yeah, that yeah. there was no information on it. Um, and it's just clear she that there was something. The yeah, it's clear that there was something there. But this is... This is what comes with the territory, unfortunately. Um, so I, if if this is true, if he openly had nothing to do and he was completely oblivious to all of this, yeah, you feel bad for the guy, right? Because it's like, but again, it still means he was sharing information that yeah. he is not at, he's not in liberty to share. But in fairness to Brian Colangelo, and this is true of any sort of relationship, how often do you get told something at work or in per, like in a in a personal sort of thing, and and you're told like don't tell anybody this, and then you go home and have dinner with a significant other. And they say, how was your day? And chances are more often than not, like you're going to tell them at least some bit of information that wasn't supposed to be told because you assume it's your wife, it's your spouse, your husband, that they're not, you know, like that you can trust them with that information because that's what you do in a personal relationship. You talk about what goes on in life. I I will say that uh, Nicole probably couldn't tell you all of my coworkers' names and she also could not give you an accurate description of what I do at work because... I guess there are different types of people, right? I get home and I don't want to go over the blow-by-blow at what happened at work that day. I really don't. Like, that was work and now I'm home. I am not as interested. Certainly, if there's a funny story or something interesting happened, I might share it. But I'm not really given a play-by-play on everything that happened in my day. Markel Fultz and his shooting coaches and a funny story that you would share at home? No, that? <laughs> that seems like a frustrating story that I'd be annoyed with and wouldn't want to deal with when I got home. Like, that, to me, like, I guess I'm just a different person. Um... Because I was I was trying to figure that out. Well, two is 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 he just being a normal person, and she truly did go rogue to the truest extent. 
Uh, and is he so totally not at fault? I still feel like, because a friend was asking me like, well, say it's his account, right? Why is, is he allowed, why is Joel B allowed to be a clown and, and say all sorts of stuff he shouldn't say on Twitter and, and Clarendel's not like, well, he's a professional. Like he's supposed to be the polished professional face of the organization. That's the price you pay when you take that role. Mm-hmm. You same by the same token, when you are privileged to information that no one else in the world outside of your organization is supposed to know, you that is the price you pay. You are not allowed to share that with people. Like I just I know that you're gonna say I know that you're saying that that is you're just part of being in a personal relationship. Like that's a sacrifice you kind of have to make. If you work for the CIA, you can't go home and tell your wife everything that happened that day. Like you are privileged to secrets that are vitally important that either to play people's lives or extremely large financial ties. Like you are not allowed to share that information. I think Colangelo in that scenario of being a GM of an organization is locked in that same scenario. You are not allowed to share that information. I get it. I just think that stuff happens all the time based off of, you know, I, I understand that apparently you hold uh, everything close to the vest, but I just, I think it's, I think it's, certain people have to. Like if you, depending on what your job is, that's what you are required to. Just because I chose not to share everything that happens at work, you know, every single day. Yeah, maybe I just don't want to talk about work all the time. I get that if you love basketball and you work in basketball, you might want to talk about more. But like if you take that job, you have, you are the guy who gets every bit of information and it can't all just free flow out of you. No, I understand. I, I just think I'm looking at it as... The reason he is fired is not because he told his wife this information. It's because the information came out. And because the information coming out can be traced to him or someone close to him, that's the reason he's fired. Uh, I I don't think, I really don't think Philadelphia management, uh, potentially his father included, Hmm. were having discussions on like, hey, like, he told his wife this. We have to fire him because that's what happens. It's because no, this information came out. Sure, pop, that's but that's part public. about keeping your house in order, right? That's part of your job. If you're choosing to share that information, you need to make sure it doesn't leave. Like that. That I guess you're still kind of at fault there. The person you chose to share with can't keep their mouth shut. Like mm-hmm. that's that's still on you at that point. Like you made the decision to to share that information, and the, you picked the wrong person to share it with. Like yeah. you made that choice. No, I I get it, and I, I again. Either I, way, he lost his job, yes, right? He's, he's he should not be employed. <laughs> I, I based um, off the circumstance, he should not have. Moving his job. forward for the Sixers, obviously they said Brent Brown is going to be the face of the organization in the off season. He's going to be the one attending the meetings. He's going to be making the pitches and helping heavily influence decisions while they search for a GM. Of the candidates that you've seen out there, certainly a few names have been thrown around. Is there anyone that you think might be a good choice for them? Well, you touched on one earlier. The uh, the. LeBron James' old friend, David, David Griffin. Griffin. Yes. Um, I think if they're trying to bring in somebody who's popular among the league, um, who has good relationships with players, who's really likable, David Griffin is definitely a, a good candidate uh, to at least consider and you know bring in for an interview. Because keep in mind, too, this Philadelphia job, a lot of times these GM jobs open up. Like we, you know, when, when a job opens up in Orlando or something, like, You're like it's Ugh, not, not going to be the most desirable yeah. job. A lot of times they're going to end up getting like young up-and-comers who you know, we're trying to do test the waters and see how they can handle a situation like this. This Philadelphia job, this may be uh, one of the most coveted jobs in NBA history given the circumstance and where they're yeah. at. The only Here, of, take you, a bunch of really, really excellent young prospects who mm-hmm. already who already reached nearly the Eastern Conference or right. who was in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, yeah, the only, the only other, other sort of like comparison I can think of off the top of my head is... Uh, like uh, the previous season when Luke um, when Luke Walden had to step in for Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr had back issues and there was legitimate talk and concerns about maybe Steve Kerr needs to retire. And if he does retire, if he can't coach anymore, all of a sudden that Golden State Warriors coaching job becomes easily the most coveted job in sports history, potentially based off yeah. of the circumstance. And Luke but, Walton did so well in it as stepping in, he probably mm-hmm. would have had a good chance of keeping it. Yeah. So this Philadelphia job, it's definitely coveted. I, I think there's, uh, I want to bring up this point as well. Well, the, um, there's two other names I've seen floated. There was David Griffin, but there was also Mike Zarin and, and Kiki Vandeweghe. Correct. Correct. So yeah. was that where you're going next? Or? No. Uh, uh, so I, because I, I, I always find it hard to talk about sort of GMs in terms of like what they can do because I don't actually know what they do behind the scenes. Yeah. Mike Zarin's been with this. the Celtics forever. Yeah. He's he's considered an ace in the hole for the Celtics. Correct. So that would be sort of a way to hurt your rival in the process of of uh, of improving yourselves if that if you felt he was the best man for the job. Yeah. It's uh, everybody's. Um, I've read about and just heard speaking like everybody speaks really highly of Mike Zarin. Um, he's clearly 
uh, an integral part of Danny Ainge's front office, and he's, you know, I, I think the Celtics have tried to do everything they could to keep him. Mike Zarin's spoken highly on on uh, on how much working for the Celtics means to him because he's always been a Celtics fan. So he's always had like a, I want to work here, I don't want to be elsewhere. So we'll see if he's actually interested. Uh, Kiki's got a lot of buzz around the league as well. He's working in the in the NBA office right now. Um, he's a player who's definitely had a lot of success on behind the scenes stuff. So we'll see about that. Uh, but it's always kind of kind of hard to just to, to judge because it's you know I can only go off of like kind of prior moves and stuff like that without actually saying. But I will say this real quick about the Philadelphia front office. When Sam Hinkie left, they un- they had to clean house. They took out pretty much everybody except for a couple people. Uh, I can't remember the names right now, but they took out pretty much everyone. Um, and when Cal- Colangelo was hired, which was a little over a year ago at this point, they or no two years ago at this point, they brought in a new fresh face with everybody. Um, we see this a lot with front office changes when the when the GM or the president is fired, they bring in a, a whole new crew. It can be a little de- detrimental to the team itself, though, to, to continue to clean house like this. Well, and a so lot of they, good people lose jobs. A lot yeah, of people so, who had nothing, they're not at fault for Brian Colangelo's whatever he did or didn't do, mm-hmm. and they might lose their jobs as a result. Yeah, and this is a, a front office that, um, just based off of kind of reading around the league in terms of how people structure the team, this is a team that's heavily focused in analytics, for example. I think there's like 10 people a part of their analytics department, which is pretty high when you look at the other front offices around the league. Um, so if they bring in somebody new, does that kind of change the infrastructure of the team? It's just, it's something to consider uh, when you look at pers- or internal hires. There's some there's some names that have been thrown out in terms of people who currently work in the front office under Colangelo. And even though we may not know who they are in the public, it's, you know, they're there on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, they so might they be may, superstars so they, behind the scenes. Yeah, so they may be young, up-and-coming uh, executives in the in the making. Um, so that's why if I'm Philadelphia, I think I'm, I'm heavily leaning towards potentially just keeping somebody on the end who's already with you right now, who's been a part of this team in, in, in terms of like the growth they make. Because yeah. I'd be afraid of just bringing in somebody and wiping out the entire team well, yeah, in the offseason. The, or, or the other caveat would be if you knew that a candidate you were interviewing had a very similar mindset on how to organize a front office, at least you might not have to upset the entire apple cart. You could maybe keep the bulk of the staff and bring in a couple, you know, trusted people that he likes, he or she likes. Mm-hmm. Um, though I do agree with you that considering things finally seem to be heading in the right direction for Philadelphia, that maybe hiring internal might be a better choice. Um, outside of if you can get a promise that if you hire David Griffin, he'll bring LeBron, then mm-hmm. I'd probably lean that way. Uh, <laughs> all right. There were two other tidbits uh, I would love to talk about that are heading into off-season stories that will be exciting to watch. I'm not going to say fun because one of them might be painful for me and you. Um, But the first one would be that DeAndre Jordan has decided he has not taken enough uh, abuse from Chris Paul in his career. And now he wants to make his way over to Houston. Uh, He has a $24.1 million player option this year. And he is considering declining it so that he could reunite with Chris Paul in Houston to play with the Harden-Houston-Capella trio. Do you think this is a good move for DeAndre Jordan? Um, I mean, certainly he's not going to get that kind of contract if he signs with Houston, so he's going to be giving up a lot of money. But is it does it make sense for Houston as a team, and does it do you think it makes sense for DeAndre as a player? Uh, I'm going to look at it from Houston's perspective right now and just be very blunt about this. This would be a terrible move for the Houston Rockets. Clint Capella, Hard is, pass. <laughs> Clint Capella is a better player and will be a better player for the foreseeable future. Uh, the Really, the only sort of like hiccup I could potentially see with this is if... And I have no idea what DeAndre Gordon's contract is gonna, status is going to be this summer. I think he's really... Um, the center market is kind of strapped. The A lot of teams just don't have money. So He's it's not making 20-plus really, million dollars a year if he opts out of this deal. That's what I, I'm not thinking he he's can. He's like a... 14 so, maybe, like to me anyways. So I'm let's, just ballparking off the top of my head. of 12 to 14 million a year for DeAndre Jordan. He's right. not that good anymore. Right. So let's say for the sake of this, DeAndre Jordan does decide to opt out and Houston is staring at the potential of signing DeAndre Jordan for three years, 36 million. Let's just throw out a number. Um, and then Clint Capello is looking at a four-year, $80 million contract. And all of a sudden teams that do have some cap space that need a center, like let's say the Dallas Mavericks, throw that out there would you rather have deandre jordan for three years at 36 million um and your team is you know like you have a lot more cap flexibility especially if you bring back chris paul at a huge contract or would you rather sign clint capella and this is your team this is your core outside of those um three and d guys that you've been rotating through the last couple of years 
Uh, I think that's something that you definitely I think Eileen to- Capella, just because he's so much younger and he's not going to, like, DeAndre Jordan is a player who's built off athleticism, right? Like, he's a guy who is a high, you know, he jumps very high and blocks a lot of shots and, and he's kind of a, a ravenous rebounder. Some of that is going to have a sharp decline as he gets older. He's on the wrong side of 30, if I remember correctly. Um, so I do worry about that with him, whereas Capella at least could continue to flourish as a basketball player. He's not a finished product. If you, if, he, if you make him your core and you're stuck with him, at least there's a chance he develops offensively, whereas DeAndre is going to be a detriment offensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely something you have to consider is just, I, I, I don't know. It, I guess my one argument for... Uh, against Clint Capella, and you know I'm a big Clint Capella fan. I've yeah, yeah. About I'm surprised him. to hear you I've, even entertain it's, this. It's that those players at times, you can find them, I feel like. You can find that sort of skill set of a uh, a center who runs the rim, who can be like kind of like a lanky defender who's who does have some switchability. We've seen that with, like Golden State just drafted somebody in Jordan Bell, who mm-hmm. I'm also pretty high on, who I think has a similar sort of skill set. Um, so if you're Houston, and let's say LeBron does decide to sign there, well, that was going to say the one caveat is if you sudden, need the if you need the cap space in order to make that deal work, because mm-hmm. then obviously you're probably not signing uh, eighty million dollar Capella at that point. You need to get something a little more reasonable under your belt. Yeah, and then let's say you know that's when you start looking for first round pick players, second round picks, uh, even like you know potentially like free agents who can fill that sort of. Um, you know, like that, that sort of like run the rim. And I'm sure Chris Paul would advocate for him. Obviously he wanted him so badly to come back to LA in the first place. I would imagine that he would be a voice within that organization saying he could do it. He could be the guy we need to make all this work. Yes. I I wouldn't, I don't know if if, if DeAndre Jordan wants the money though. You're not dismissing it outright from the team perspective, but I do think for the player, I'm not sure it makes sense. If money is a concern, if money is a concern, he should stay in LA because I can't see him making that much more money. Um, even if you were to get, like, let's say, that three-year, $36 million contract that I brought up. And I, I haven't read that anywhere. It's just kind of what I'm gauging. But in, even in that scenario, you're, you're, you could make two-thirds of that in one year in L.A. than you would make over the next three years if you chose mm-hmm. to make that deal. But, but if he really wants a championship, perhaps that's something he'd be willing to yeah, do. Yeah, Houston would be the, the probably the better sort of end game for that. But I just – I don't think he's – I don't. Know, I just. I, I. I. don't even understand like why Houston would entertain that unless there is a, a certainty of something like LeBron coming and you just don't have a choice because you can't afford Clint Capella. Yeah, I just. The, he, I don't view him as that good of a player anymore at this stage of his career. Like certainly not at his. Not. He's far from what he was at peak. Mm-hmm. DeAndre and I. He's only going to get worse. So I don't know why I'd want to anchor that to my team, even for what would be maybe a more reasonable number. Yeah, and I, I'm, I feel like I'm trying to talk myself into it. I, I'd I'm rather not, go over I'd the rather, cap yeah, with Clint Capella. Like, I'd rather go into heavy luxury tax pay because you can do that by re-signing a restricted free agent, right? You have that option mm-hmm. because it's a team contract. So I'd rather go heavy into the cap with a guy who at least I think is going to get better as opposed to a guy who I know is going to get worse. Um, the last thing I want to talk about was the Boston Celtics' Kyrie Irving, who can be a free agent in 2019 and... Chris Mannix has been quoted as saying he thinks that the Celtics are scared. He said, quote, I think they're scared and should be scared to some degree of Kyrie Irving walking in 2019. I know he had a great year, but you know there are people in Cleveland that will tell you the Knicks should be considered a real threat for Kyrie Irving because Kyrie had talked about it, about playing with the Knicks with some players in the Cleveland locker room from what I was told. You know things can change. Obviously, you go to Boston, you become the face of the franchise, you're on a winning team. Maybe the mindset has changed significantly. I know Kyrie Irving's mindset when the trade happened was Boston is my home for the foreseeable future. We've talked about it a little bit, but are you heavily concerned that the that he will walk in 2019 if you're the Celtics? Yeah, this is one of the reasons I was, uh, you know, I, I've been quoted on this podcast as kind of being um, slightly against the Kyrie trade back in the day when it happened. This is one of the reasons is that there wasn't a long-term commitment. So after this season, if he's traded, or excuse me, if he walks as a free agent, all of a sudden you have nothing to show for that and you lost out on uh, a high-end lottery pick with the eighth, ended up being the eighth pick for from Brooklyn. Um, this is something you absolutely have to consider. And if you're the Celtics right now, so keep in mind, Kyrie Irving is uh, extension eligible this summer. He's not going to sign it. He's though, not going to sign he's going to get more money if he goes to open market. Correct, yeah. He would not make, he cannot make as much money, nor would I think the Celtics would even potentially even offer him outside of really like a, a tough low ball. I can't see them offering him um, a crazy max extension this summer because we don't actually know what's going on with his knee right now. We haven't seen him. We haven't seen this team as a whole. Does he fit into what this team can do? I think his his talent is extremely transferable. I think one of the reasons this team had so much uh, success this 
postseason was because of their defense switchability. Kyrie Irving absolutely hurts that. But what he makes up for an offense, I think, negates any sort of defensive issues. <laughs> the fact that, that the Celtics provide. could not create offense on their own. Correct. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> fact, yeah, the fact that we had, you know, like Samuel Jolay and Abdel yeah. Nader out there trying yeah, to yeah. create some stuff. Um, it's it's definitely a concern. Uh, you have to. That's one of the reasons I think it may be worthwhile. Uh, holding on to Terry Rozier if you don't feel like you're getting blown away by any sort of offer because you have to consider is Terry Rozier somebody you can slide into that starting spot and potentially have him be a certainly a an insurance piece. plan is not a bad a bad thing even though it might hurt your cap for a little for a mm-hmm. year I, I guess I feel like the Celtics front office probably has a better indication what Kyrie is feeling than I personally do based off of their probably conversations with them but I get you likewise you never really know what a player feels or is thinking behind the scenes until the decision time comes right now i would imagine or at least my gut tells me that they are say 60 percent likely to re-sign him in 2019 with 40 percent being the field you know some other team could come calling and certainly it sounds like the knicks do have a little bit of his you know at least at least are in his you know peripheral vision as far as uh an interest I just think that your asset or the one thing you've got going for you is that the Knicks have been a continual dumpster fire for the last couple of years and they've had one heck of a coaching carousel uh, and you know even Porzingis seems at times to not want to be there anymore. So if all that continues, you're, they're less of a threat because why is he going to want to walk into what is essentially a tire fire? Um yeah. If if things suddenly turn around, Porzingis has a great season, actually stays healthy, Coach Fisdale seems to have the team on the right track, and they start making intelligent decisions, maybe you've got some concerns, but that's a lot of ifs and maybes and things to all happen in one year. It's all going to happen in one year for that to suddenly become like a they are an, a, 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 an attractive target. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know. I'm not I'm not convinced that that's as big of a threat as maybe it's being made out to be by the by this uh, Chris Mannix. Yeah, I. I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure he has reliable sources. Um, I know he's come up with some. Well, he's going off of past, past things. Like there were I, past conversations that Kyrie had said he wanted to play in New York. So that correct. if that's on the record, I'm I'm fine with that being a discussion. I'm just saying that New York is such a a, a wreck that yeah, like I mean, if, if they I, they need a lot to go right in one year to suddenly become an attractive target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I mean, if I actually had to bet money on this, um, and I might, who knows? Well, they've uh, like, got I decisions think, to make. Like, New York has to make some choices, right? Like, don't aren't, aren't contracts coming up? Like, they have to sort of set the, the path well, in this offseason. Yeah, so keep in mind, Porzingis is going to be a restricted free agent after this year. Um, Enos Cantor, I thought his deal was either so coming up. So he has a player or, option. Yeah. And uh, I, I think the all intentions are, I guess, he, Enos Cantor is an interesting candidate because uh, similar to a DeAndre Jordan, um, he appears to think he's going to make more money on the on the open market. I don't see it. I think his player options for around $18 million. I don't see him making that much money. No, I don't either. Even though he's he's still a, I think he's still a, he can still be a contributing offensive player. I think his yeah, defense is Yeah, he's a good a post player and he's uh, a junk everything else. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, they, they, they obviously have a couple point guards. They're still testing the waters with uh, Emmanuel Moutier and uh, Frankie Smokes. And you'd have to Kena. move, either move positions or move players entirely to accommodate for Kyrie in that scenario. Still have uh, our good friend of the show, Joe Kim Noah's contract. Yeah, like there's out. there's a lot there's, of there's a lot of un, like just flat out that team is not a team that has been very intelligent with the decisions they've made in recent years and have constantly shot themselves in the foot. So we're saying that in order for Kyrie to suddenly be like that's the place I got to go, that they write the ship all at once, right? Like they do yeah. everything right in one off season and the team dramatically improves to suddenly they're an attractive candidate. It just seems like a lot to ask for a team that hasn't been able to do that for 15 to 20 years. Yeah, no, I agree. Same I, ownership still, like uh, nothing's changed in that case. And I think I think one thing that definitely matters to Kyrie based off of part of the reasons why he left Cleveland are uh, player relationships. And I, I think it's it's definitely important to see that, or important to even look back at, that Kyrie was on the bench for the majority of the playoffs, right? Like he was there interacting with players, even teaching players, like talking through coaching moments with players like Terry Rozier. Um, I mean, even on... Instagram yesterday, a uh, friend of the show, Jalen Brown, dropping two friends of the show, right <laughs> Jalen Brown, uh, posted like uh, a screen cap of him FaceTime with Kyrie with, you know, the caption like, my guy or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And I think those relationships do matter. 
Um, and I think Kyrie Irving has definitely connected with the Celtics team. It's a, it's a younger core. And players it's, seem to like playing for Stevens, which goes a long way. If you feel like this guy is going to maximize my ability or what mm-hmm. I'm capable of and get the most out of the players around me, which is an important thing if you're Kyrie, because you don't, I don't think he outright wants to do everything all the time and carry the load. I think he's seen what happens with that. Yeah. Um, I would think that matters. Yeah, so. yeah, it absolutely does matter. Kyrie Irving was having a really good season too. Outside of he, I remember he got off to a rough start, mm-hmm. um, but once kind of he, once the system was kind of figured out, and it, this is the same way for a lot of the players. But like once the system was kind of figured out, um, you could see how efficient Kyrie Irving can be in this Celtics uh, offensive scheme. And you know, I'm really excited to see kind of what occurs next year. As I say, the one caveat obviously is if Gordon Hayward comes back and is not a capable basketball player anymore because of either the yips. Uh, physical limitations, he they amputate his leg right before the season starts, whatever happens, and they are anchored to that contract, that could change Kyrie's mind if he suddenly says, crap, this organization's stuck because Gordon Hayward is... And I don't think that's going to happen. I expect Hayward to make a full recovery. I expect him to be the player that the Celtics thought they were getting when they signed him. Um, I'm just saying if something catastrophic happened on that end and they were suddenly tethered to a Joe Kim Noah-like contract, things could change then. Right. Like that could yeah. certainly tank an organization. Yeah. I mean, you know, because that's one thing to keep in mind, too, is what Gordon Hayward's role is going to be next year and how that's going to impact the rest of the team. Um, no alley-oops. No alley-oops. Because <laughs> looking at players like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in particular, uh, you never want to say like, hey, an injury was a good thing. But their roles expanded this year. and We mm-hmm. got to see more of them because of the Hayward injury. And let's look at why Gordon Hayward was signed to begin with. Right. Like they needed an offensive power, like power force out there. And Gordon Hayward's originally signed with partly the intent of being the backup point guard. Like, Stevens really thought that he could use him as a as a backup ball handler. And he probably um, still could. I still think he could. Yeah, we'll see. Like, that's going to... I, think I that's don't necessarily need Marcus Smart dribbling up the court to jack a three sometimes. No, yeah, I think Marcus <laughs> Smart's definitely best fitted at times to play off the ball or sure. strictly in pick-and-roll situations. Whereas Gordon Hayward is absolutely a capable passer. He can make smart decisions. We've seen that in the past. I think people... There was a lot of talk, especially as the Celtics were cruising, like, oh, like, does this make uh, Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving expendable? No. And we touched on Kyrie Irving. I think people forget how Gord, like Gordon Hayward is. How it's much He progressed year after year. He got better. He's and under a good coach in Quinn Snyder, who has similar sort yep. of Brad Stevens tendencies. And he's also a very good defender, which is something that matters in the system. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, yeah, I think it's good. There's going to be a rough patch for Gordon Hayward because he hasn't played basketball in a year. Like, but the Celtics play that. positionless basketball. So if you're worried about there not being enough time for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward and Kyrie all at the same time, they really do play positionless basketball. They can make that work, mm-hmm. right? You could play all four of those guys on the floor at the same time with Al Horford and you'd probably steamroll teams um, yeah, because think- you're able to cover all of the spots anyways. And there's enough athleticism out there and enough uh, talent out there that I think you could still wreck teams. Or you could run them in shifts and still wreck teams because you've now got what you've found is that you've got capable scores in Brown and Tatum. So you could run first unit, second unit, you cycle them later in the games. They may all start together and then you cycle them, offset them later in the games and then bring them all back together for the fourth quarter. And that's a nightmare for any team to have to deal with Mm -hmm. because you can keep guys well rested that way, which is something that also I think players would probably like is to be like, oh, I don't have to play, you know, 42 minutes every night. I can play. 36 35 minutes and we can run you know run rough shot through the eastern conference that sounds great to me yeah and given the the injuries in particular for Kyrie Irving Mike if I had to put a barometer in terms of how many minutes he's going to play next year I think it's probably going to be you know potentially the fewest in his career I forget what he played 30 early on. Uh, yeah I, would, I'm, I bet I'm you 32 33 I'm guessing my, my honest god he's going to stick around 30 like yeah. right there I think that's kind of how uh, and if I'm Kyrie and worried about it. any sort of long term of my career, I think that's a good thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think I want a coach who wants to protect me and an organization who wants to protect me. We're projecting a lot of things, obviously, here. But I, I do think that the Celtics have positioned themselves well. They took this gamble. They knew this was a gamble to begin with, right? But they took it because they thought that they could create an environment that he would love and thrive in. And I, I do think that they've done a very good job. They've done that. They've put mm-hmm. themselves in a position where this is probably not as much of a concern to them as it is to us as fans yeah. i think that they've uh, probably got a pretty good idea of how this is going to play out right yeah they, i mean they definitely and if not you know just based off how the front office works they absolutely have plans yeah. bc and d yeah exactly they've already got those in set right if he doesn't stay guys like terry rosier guys like marcus smart will stick around you're still going to have hayward you're still going to have brown you're still going to have tatum you're still going to have the draft picks incoming and you still have al horford like the team is not suddenly in shambles they may not be immediately as perfect as you want them to be, but there is still 
room for growth and room for elite competition at that point. It's not over all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there's, there is, yes, there's plan A, and then there is obviously Danny Ainge is not a man without a plan B or C, and maybe even D through Z. Um, all right. I think that's a good place for us to wrap it up today. Are you okay with that? Do you feel good about how we did? Yeah, I feel good. Was episode uh, 50, like, was it a good one? It is. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a little it's a, it's a little bummer that there's going to be no more NBA basketball, unfortunately. Um, but as we touched on earlier, that's a, it's a full year-round sport. We have the draft coming up, free agency shortly after that. Um, summer league, all summer that league, stuff yeah, will pick up. In, yeah, so I'm, there'll still be plenty to talk about. Absolutely. So we're excited. We hope you join us all off-season long. I'm Sean Haladic. He's David Rodriguez. We will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crashing the Glass. Like what you hear? Then please subscribe to us on either the Apple Podcast or the Google Play Store. And you know what? While you're there, leave us a five-star review and let us know how we're doing. Looking for more Crashing the Glass action? You can follow us at Twitter, at CTGPod. You can always send us an email at CrashingTheGlassPod at gmail.com for review topics or even questions you want us to answer on the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.